0: Hello, and welcome to episode twelve of the Ammo Ever. Uh, it's really sorry about the week's delay. Um, in my day job as a barber, I've just picked up the keys to my first ever shop. so it's been a little bit uh, hectic over the past couple of weeks um, and I wasn't able to get the edit out last week. Um, with that being said, probably a good indicator that now I'm not in lockdown um, that you know these might not be uh, weekly moving forward um i don't want to over promise and under deliver so there's still intention from my side to keep having great conversations we have a couple in the bank we have some awesome uh, interviews lined up for you Um, but in terms of getting everything edited and put together and that sometimes just not going to be possible weekly so i'll do my best and uh, there's no intention of stopping Um, but yeah if it's not out one monday it will just be the following monday i'm probably going to keep sticking to that day um, But just less pressure on uh, the frequency, so keeping the quality high as a, a priority as opposed to frequency. So uh, with that being said, today's guest is a good friend of mine, John McLenahan, uh an amazing photographer. You can find him on Instagram as uh, John Photo, and that's J-A-W-N Photo. Um, he's an awesome videographer, photographer. He shot some um, he shot the, the video for Haunt Me, uh, which was a really personal one for me for my band We Came from Wolves. Um he's shot some great photography that me and my wife have in our house, um, you know, Nature Scapes, Cityscapes, really, really talented guy, and um, but most importantly, just a, a really lovely guy. And um, he's really candid about his sobriety and why he took that path he's a super talented guitarist and used to play in the band the recovery who i was a big fan of tight as hell and um, for like kind of fans of every time i die and um, kind of like heavy but bouncy kind of party uh, kind of heavy rock metal if you like um we're in a lot of the same subjects ancient civilizations um just theories on kind of uh, society and uh, maybe the the ways that it's uh, not the best compared to how it used to be and maybe some conspiracies about higher powers and and things like that so uh, kind of a conversation that goes in a lot of directions but really nothing to promote or plug he's just a a lovely dude talented dude and i'm really uh, happy that he came on uh, to have a chat with me so as always you can have 20 percent off anything in our merch store except for the new weekend from wolves uh, pre-order vinyl Um, so that's hoodies and t-shirts of different kinds and that's at www.theammocollective.bigcartel.com just enter the ammo hour at checkout for 20% off Um, please again as always like, subscribe, share uh, the podcast on whatever you're listening on or on YouTube the more we get the more uh, we can be promoted the more viewers we get the more guests I can bring in Uh, and of course Whether you're watching or listening and want to do the other, want to find where to to find the podcast, the easiest place, the link tree that holds all the information for merch, uh, the YouTube channel, where to listen to it, is on our Instagram page. So that's just at the Ammo Hour. And you can just head in the bio there and uh, click the link. So yeah, a wee apology, uh, obviously, for the delay, but I hope that explanation uh, makes sense. Uh, We'll carry on uh, getting some quality chats as always. Ping me your comments, DMs, any feedback, any suggestions, or even just if you like something, uh, a wee bit of feedback uh, is class to hear, Uh, and I'll keep uh, doing my thing um, when I can for you. I'll try and keep it weekly, but if it's not, it's not that I've chucked a towel in, it's just that life is back to normal, or we're getting closer. So yeah, thanks so much for every single one of you.
1: Okay, so I'm here with my good friend, John McLennican. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, man. I'm good. How you doing?
0: I like butchered that
1: name after asking you. <laughs> McLennigan.
2: Cranachan.
1: <laughs> a wee silent H. I think. Well, a wee sire G. I get Burgess, 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 Bruges, Burgess. That's because you've got 16 names, though. I know, mate. Kyle, Kyle's easy. Kyle's great.
2: <laughs> How you been? All right? Good, man. Good. Just, uh, it's been a long, strange year. Um fortunate that I'm still working so I'm still getting some sort of normality which is good um it was quite strange the first lockdown because i was still traveling to work still in city center and everything was completely ghost town you know it was dead um the only people you would see was like cops or people running from the cops and that was it you know it was nothing going on this time it's been a bit different I suppose because you've got shops open for takeaway food and whatever so it doesn't feel that different um but I'm fortunate enough to
1: still be out there doing doing work and stuff man what was it like um you, is it Irving you're in Irving yeah just down yeah. the west coast do you think it's been better or worse being in, like a small place through all this I never really thought about it before but <sighs> kind of
2: because we don't have any family down here so for us to travel to see people you're not really supposed to mm-hmm. so it's it's definitely a bit more secluded being here because I many kids are now back at school nursery, but through the first kind of 11 months, it was quite difficult trying to keep them entertained every day. You've got the beach right in the doorstep, you've got lots of walks and stuff, so still getting out and doing kind of outdoory stuff. But then so is everyone,
1: mm-hmm. so
2: it then becomes you're kind of trying to avoid people, and if you don't want to go out and be around other people, you're then stuck in the house. So it's quite for everyone, I suppose, it's, it's mentally challenging, you know. Yeah. But I think being this. this
1: it's pros and cons, you know, there's a lot to do. I was just thinking that when you said that there, like the beach and stuff is obviously massive, like that's amazing. But then also you are not got people around you. So Aye. So it's kind of half yeah. and half, you know, it's a been quite a tough Um. Obviously we're, we're on the subject of where you moved to. Like, I want to, obviously we've had a wee brief before this, but I want to chat loads about like the band and your photography and that and all that class uh, creative stuff. But you moved to uh, an old graveyard keeper's house, didn't you? A couple of years ago. <laughs> you were just showing me the, the graves. So are... it, all, it all ties in. You've got Mosher music,
2: yeah. Mosher house. Um, <laughs> now nah, it was one of these things, like when we, we bought our first house, it was a kind of older house anyway, kind of Victorian thing. And we'd done it up, sold it a bit sooner than we expected. Um, I stayed like two minutes from my work. Which was great you could literally fall out of bed but we decided to move 30 odd miles away so it was at a time where there wasn't a lot of old properties on the market and um, that were kind of relatively close to Glasgow and then when this one came up we kind of looked at it went past it a few times and it just looked like a mess online but then the more we kind of get into it we were like hmm, we'll go see it and then it turned out the guy that we went for mortgage advice before he became a mortgage advisor, he was an estate agent, and it was him that put the house on the market years before. Right. So it was kind of strange how that happened.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we
2: just decided to go and check it out. And of course, it's attached to the cemetery gates, which is cool. Yeah. It's got a garden which a lot of cemetery houses don't. Um, but I, I, it doesn't no matter what the good points are. It's just it's a cemetery house. I mean that's. <laughs> It's
1: you know, stunning, man. Like in, in some pictures you've put online and obviously we'll link up your, your photography pages and accounts um in the show notes and stuff. But you know, stunning, stunning house. But um the the interesting thing is when me and you first started chatting a while back when you were taking pictures for uh my band and when we are, our bands are playing together, the odd show here and there, you were telling me, um, are you okay talking about what your job is? I don't need to like go into any detail that, like, yeah. So you yeah. do, like, control... Well, at this time, you did controller calls for, like, the police and stuff. And you told me about this really, like, case that had kind of struck a chord with you because, it like, someone had called in a paranormal, like, experience, didn't you? And, like, the cops there had, like, said, no, this is happening and stuff. Aye. It and was it recently. Yeah, recently I've seen that you've said you've been having some experiences in this house. So, I mean, what kind of thing been going on? Well, I think... Up until
2: this point, I had never ever experienced anything myself. Yeah. At any point in life. I'll touch on that call briefly so I can't talk about it too much. But basically the call came in and a woman had basically items were flying across the room in you know, a living room in our house. Um she sounded scared, she didn't sound intoxicated or anything, you know, it sounded genuine and she sounded terrified. And then in the call, maybe 10 50 minutes in, there was like a collective scream like her and whoever was in the house with her. And again, this is like an adult, it's not like somebody I didn't feel at any point it was a prank call, you know. And you, and you hear the,
1: it's important to say, like, you know, everyone at their work becomes experts, you listen to people all the time, like, you know, like you here, you know, so
2: you, you kind of know, and you can look at previous calls and whatnot, but it was just straight away, I just knew, like, this isn't something that is just somebody taking the piss. You know, this is genuine. So I sent it down to air control to get someone out to it and people got there but there was no update by the time I finished the shift. And then I think it was like, I was off for three days after that. So it took me like four days to go back to work and find out what happened. So long and short of it, they got there, witnessed what was happening, what she described on the phone. They got another... Colleague out to confirm a supervisor and they basically said yeah this is happening we've all witnessed this kind of thing and of course it's the police they only deal with crime so there's not much they could do there's no actual physical being there to be arrested for smashing up the house you know <laughs> so it's my understanding that a priest gets sent to the house or a few priests get sent to the house to bless it or whatever it is they do because um, it was in the news, like it was in the news within a couple of days, so the call had obviously leaked, or at least the, the details of it. Um, so that was my first kind of, although I didn't experience it firsthand in person, Yeah. that was the first time I ever spoke to someone that made me, that confirmed to me, like, you know what, there's people who went out to that house and they've witnessed it as well. So this is a real thing. Um, so fast forward four or five years. So the middle to the end of last year, there was noises in the house. Now it's an old house. It might sound kind of common for like house noises, settlement, whatever. The house is like 130 years old or something. So settlements happened, you know. It's still not settling, in all this time later, but the noises you get, kind of you know what noises are, what happened at night when there's no traffic, it's quiet. You hear the stairs kind of creaking and whatever this was like pressure as if someone was actually walking on the stairs you know and it would go on for long long periods of time, you would feel like there was breathing going on, you would feel like there was someone there um, now I don't know what it is, you know, I've not seen yeah. anything it's only happened a few times it happens a lot when I'm out so if I'm in night shift or something I'll get texts saying did you get home early last night? I'll be like nah, it wasn't me and one of the kids had heard it as well and said out loud without anyone else prompting it, like there's someone coming upstairs. That was like early morning, kind of before getting up time, but early morning. Yeah. So things like that, it's like kids hearing like house noises and stuff, they wouldn't really question it, but it was the kind of the certainness of there's someone on the stairs kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't witness that particular time. But I've definitely heard things and as you can see behind me, I've started exposing a wall, but there's a massive, massive fireplace behind me, which is original. The wall's never been touched until I've decided to open it up. And it feels like after I'd done that, these noises started to happen in this room. Man. You know, <laughs> and it's not something I can explain. No. It's, it's not something that I mean we've got the chimneys are opened, there's wind, there's bits falling down, but it's not simple noises like that, it's like floorboards.
1: Yeah mate, listen, I (laughs) whenever experiencing a wee bit of loss a couple of years ago and looking into things and opening my mind and I appreciate people can say you look for what you want to find and of course as well, but you also can only go on what you felt yourself and like, I truly believe, like, energy doesn't dissipate, I was, you know, it doesn't disappear, it doesn't die when somebody does die. A quick analogy of speaking with somebody today uh, in my in my close friend's network who's uh, lost someone, and like we were talking about, you know, they're actually a scientist as well, but they were like, you know, energy is static, that's all particles, like, that's just an electronic, you know, um, an electronic, I guess, portrayal of like the particles that are in the air and everything like that, right? right? So when when my dad died, like I was listening to loads of podcasts trying to get some sort of sense. Just and uh, somebody had said this analogy of like, you know, if this body is just like a vehicle. So if if the if the car is your your outside of the car, the bonnet, the metal and that is our skin and that the interior, your muscles and that there's your leather seats and stuff. You know the the petrol is your blood you need that it's a lifeblood to keep it moving and then there's a the computer the thing it you know sends the signals from touching the the pedal to to do that that's your brain and function and everything like that but who's driving the car who decides yeah. that you want to go like you know roll the windows down and feel the sun on your skin you want to take a longer detour you want to sit and listen to music you know in our body we can we can, you know, put pins on all these things, but what, what makes you kind? What makes you, like, nice? You know, what makes you decide to be altruistic, you know, to be a leader, all these things. Like, there is no part of the body that does that. So, you know, if, if, if spirituality and stuff like that, if it's, like, unresolved energy because there was something bad happened or they're drawn to that place, like, right. you know? This is it. And I think you're right with that
2: stuff. Like, a brain's a brain. You know, it's a grey matter. It's the same, my brain's the same as your brain, but your DNA, your uh, traits and stuff passed down from parents and whatnot, your learned experiences that, like, and sometimes you can't control who you are. You know, you've got a conscious, you can make decisions, but you're influenced by things like your makeup is stuff that you're born with, you know, and a brain is just a physical piece of muscle the same as the next person. So where does that data go? Where does that kind of I don't know, vibrations and stuff, you know, like all these things that you're influenced by everything. And where does all that go? Because, I mean, I don't know, but I do think that there's something that's kept here. Or I do as well, man.
1: We we speak, me and you both, like, um, the works of, like, Graham Hancock and there's loads of people like that who not only get into the ancient uh, civilization stuff, um I've actually never done like psilocybin or any mushrooms or stuff like that. It's something that I'm interested in doing. Um, you know, it's not a drug. It's like a a tool, I believe. And, and and listening to all these people who are very well respected. You know, they're not sensationalist people. They're yeah, they, they come up with some claims on alternative history, but that is the essence of what a scientist is. It's like if there's not a proven thing, then you have to keep exploring it. You know, we yeah. we, we want to like they're not. The status quo even though we can't prove it that's not actually science but you know I, I think I've touched on this in another call as well if you look at like mushrooms and fungi and stuff like that they're the oldest organisms like around like they say they may have even came on from like meteors and stuff like that it was like the first life spores and stuff like that so Why is it we only view technology as things that are much more recent, like plastic and metal and billboards and, like, an iPhone? Like, that's all really new. Surely the oldest things in the world are actually more advanced. Um, So just because it looks like a mushroom or it's a spore, like, that doesn't mean it's not a technology. Like, we tune into the radio and can hear music, but we can't see it. Literally someone just built a plastic thing with an antenna to pick up a, like... So what if there's things in dimensions and consciousness that we're not even aware of, you know, and, and those are like genetic memories and things like that. So that could be everyone who's ever lived here. Like that energy gets picked up in different ways and you communicate with different places and that, like, this is all heavy stuff for two guys just sitting drinking coffee. But <laughs> but yeah, man, like I, I believe there's far more to it than like, this just one level like you are in a physical body and then you die you die that's it I don't right. I don't believe it. Nah there's
2: got to be more and it might never be proven it may be something that we can't physically prove yeah but sometimes even just believing or having faith in something and I know faith is something that a lot of people don't like because you've got kind of human-made faiths like religions and the army like propaganda like I know stuff like that matters to some people and I won't touch on that but it's maybe it's one of these things we can't prove but what's the point in just dismissing it as nah we don't know so it's not true
1: exactly if that's the
2: case we wouldn't have anything like progression doesn't necessarily always need to be moving forward like looking at stuff in history looking at mushrooms and organisms that could maybe open up answers to other things Mm -hmm. like just because it's something that's old that's never been looked at it's not it's still a progression. Whereas you touched on technology, like people want to push for smarter, faster AIs, phones, laptops, whatever, like that's all taken away like the thought process for people. People are relying on technology, people aren't having to do as much physically. And I talking about lost civilizations, like all the things that these people would have done physically, and we sit on a phone. You could sit on a phone all day and lose a whole day yes. just sitting on technology. And think about all the stuff you could search for on a phone, on the internet, to look into these things. But people don't. Mm-hmm. It's almost like nobody wants to pay and fund projects for that kind of thing. You yeah, know, for sure. And who, who knows why? But if it's not known, the phone, then there's no, no problem trying to find out
1: these things, you know? G- Graham Hancock was one of the, the first people I'd ever heard speaking about ayahuasca. Um, so it's like, you know, the Amazon rainforest is like got millions and millions of different plants and on their own, it's like this for, for anyone that's not listen, uh, who's not heard of it who's listening, like on their own, it's a vine and like a root, I think, uh, or the leaves and a vine. But on their own, both things are just like toxic, wouldn't do anything, would just make you sick. But in this really weird way of like steeping them in water and then mashing them and then doing all this stuff, it then basically creates DMT, which we've all got inside like our bodies and stuff and just is the, the most full on, um, I guess, psychedelic, um, hallucinogen, uh, whatever. And there are studies now. So for, you know, centuries, thousands of years, every, all these Amazon people are, are, are taking that. And seeing, like, the woman of the forest and, like, anything that they are fearful of or they're not sure or they're suffering from depression or they need to break through in their life, this woman, this spirit teaches her. And everyone's going to be listening to this going, fuck, you know, this is wild. But like you just said there, man, you can search this. Like, there are normal people, businessmen and fucking, you know, scientists and doctors and just regular people who are suffering from depression and and, uh, addiction and things like that. They're going and taking this and seeing the same things and getting messages personal to them that are then having results that are like, I'm pretty sure there was this test and it was like 90% people were addicted to like, you know, proper, proper um, like heroines and opiates and like 90% of this test group just quit it after the ayahuasca session and didn't go back. And this stuff's not getting light shined on it, you know? No. And I'd be happy to anyone like messages me saying, Oh, show me that data, I'd be happy to, because I listen Absolutely. to that stuff all the time. It's crazy. It kinda
2: it kinda proves that the whole mind over matter, like, although you're using an hallucinogen to to get to that place in your mind, and whether you're seeing an, an image of a woman in the forest or not, like to be able to do that one time or maybe for a course of a week. I know some people go and maybe take it over the course of so many days. Yeah. But if that's how it's affecting people and that's the benefits they're getting, like, surely that's something that should be, of course, I I don't know how they would make it readily available because then you're going to to the Amazon and taking their medicine, I suppose, but it's something that, okay, we could go down so many holes with this stuff because you could talk about people not wanting to cure everyone's depression. They don't want to cure everyone's fears because that's how people can be manipulated and controlled. And, obviously and, buy things, a,
1: and buy things. Aye, we live in a
2: consumer, consumer society and democracy. Like, it's very much, if everyone was doing great, then we wouldn't live in the same society as we do now. You know, people would try and overrule, people would try and do their own thing. People wouldn't sit back and let people dictate to them what's, how things are, you know. and I don't mean that people would riot, even just simple things like people's wages are set at this place and cost of living and whatever, like people would see past all that. Yeah. Um, And I think today's society, like the younger generation, I think a lot of people are seeing past all that anyway on their own. Um, People seem to be more inquisitive these days. Again, I don't know that many young people, but the stuff you see online, posts, campaigns that young people are doing, even artwork, people seem to be questioning stuff a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's maybe going to touch on a whole kind of punk anarchy thing coming back, but any question is good.
1: Of course, you know? yeah. Like, like we said at the start, that is what science is. Until there's a definitive answer, you need to just keep pushing boundaries and, and, and searching for what could be um I've, I've mentioned that a few times as well on these shows, but there's an amazing, um, I listened to this podcast, but there's an amazing book, um, I, an, an audio book. I'm not good at <laughs> reading big, long books, but uh, called Civilized to Death by Chris Ryan. And that talks about all that. You know, it's like the happiest, like statistically, like matter of fact, the happiest people in the world are like, the last bastions of like hunter gatherer societies. So, your Papua New Guineas and your Amazon people who are not like in the deforestation part of it, who are actually left on their own. And there's um, this guy, Bruce Parry, uh, he did like a documentary on the BBC a good few years ago called Tribe. And he'd go and live with different tribes. And there was this really great series where he went to these Papua New Guineans. Um, and they were such like just the happiest people, smiling all the time, and stuff like that, because all their basic. Their human needs are being met. Like, why do we feel so great when we go around the campfire and just stay at fire? Because it's just giving us warmth. Why they, like they run about just hunting in the sun? Anyway, it, it got to this point where, and this book discusses that, you know, it's not we're, what we're sold like all day is this massive survival. No, actually, they only work about two hours a day because they get up, they go in this hunt together, which is what we're replicating with sport. So they actually enjoy it as well. They go and do exercise for a couple of hours. They come back, they all share in this this food. They build houses together. Then they lounge. They play in the river. They fish. They eat what they need. It's a great society. And when they were, they were taken to uh, England as part of this kind of spin-off series for like a week to like do things and do all this and that. And the host family, the guy that they were staying with, would like go out in the morning and not come back to wait at the end of the night. He was knackered sitting in his chair. And they were like through the translator, like, why does he do this? or well, he does it to provide for his family. And it's like, but why Why isn't the whole village providing for his family? Like, why aren't they all doing a little bit so he can be here with his family? And like, Aye. they absolutely split it right down to the basics. Like, there's depression and there's consumerism and there's all this to like hide for the fact that we're not actually living as the humans were meant to be. We all love when we just go camping or go walk in the hills or go on holiday. But what is it we love about holiday? It's not these posh restaurants that is, being in the sun and the warmth and just sitting by the sea. We don't need right. a lot. Just you know? getting away. Exactly, man. And that's what's crazy. Like You spend your whole life, and it's just money. Like
2: Money controls all. Like You panic about money. Yep. You take out debt because you don't have the money to buy what you think you need or what you want to give someone. You work overtime for more money. You work solely just to get money. Debt people can't sleep at night because they panic thinking I need to get my money for my wages to pay off that debt and it won't leave me enough money for the rest of the month. Excuse me. It's another form of control. You can only earn, unless you're self-employed or in a really high paid job, like even in a high paid job, you could still be earning like 100 grand a year. But that's still a bar that's set by someone else. Yeah, You know, It's, it's all restrictions and like and it's hard when you're in that kind of society to not care about money because you need it to survive in our, in our situation, you know. And it might sound like, oh, poor us, like we live in this part of the world and we're fortunate to be born here and whatever. But it's true, like there is, there are people that live in these tribes where it's an actual proper community, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just... It's,
1: it's having the bravery, isn't it? Because I say it all the time to Nick. Yeah, I'm just like, you know, I would just love to go and live up north somewhere, and if we just like did some sort of local job, you know, um, and just just enjoyed your time, or move abroad, and you don't need a lot, just open a wee beach bar and just you know work a couple hours a day, and then just enjoy living in the sand and stuff. Uh, But it's. We're, we are ingrained into it and like you said there is a shift because we're talking about things like this which with all due respect to like my mom and dad and stuff like that they, they probably wouldn't sit and have conversations about because there wasn't as many resources that they're, they're you know just as like uh you know caring and, and stuff as ourselves but we've got podcasts and online articles to read and stuff now you know and like you say maybe the younger generation will have a wee bit more bravery and courage than us it's not to say we are cowards it's just we're still living in that well you've got to provide you've got to do this you've got to do that you know
2: and even moving abroad we're so it's that instilled in us we would choose to move abroad so we we go to Alaska for example Mm -hmm. we don't have I mean we could do it but we don't have the tools and the kind of mindset to live there and survive because we've been brought up in such a kind of babysat society as long as you've got money you can buy stuff to help you so We'd probably go out to Alaska thinking, right, we need to buy fuel, we need to buy the best chainsaws, we need to buy this, we need to buy that. And it's like, you could still live very basic out there. You could hunt, gather, you could you, you build your own hut. Like, again, I think it would be more of a kind of lonely life, but even in a kind of society where it is kind of tribal, you would find it hard, obviously, going to live in a place like that anyway. But there's just so much you could do but we probably doubt ourselves so much because of just we've had a cushioned kind of life you know we all the things that we can buy here and uh, it's something that it could be done but it's we would still rely on money and money true value and stuff like move yeah. abroad start a bar you're still having to start a business to make money
1: exactly you know, even in that example you're, you're still like there's something that's pinning you back like well, what job will i do when i'm there like our whole thing is just about the job it's like to just maybe renovate a van and go driving about like that sounds so simple and i would love it and i've spent a lot of time touring and loving that i'd love to do it with my wife and just not have any actual commitments but even then like there's this fear it's like it can't be as easy as that like where's the money <laughs> you know <laughs> 40 grand in a van, <laughs> custom build. Exactly. How do you keep yourself going, do you know? Aye, absolutely. Uh, yeah. See, touching back on, um, I don't want to make the whole thing about it, but I was just having a wee thought when I was there but the ayahuasca and, like, obviously the studies saying that that helps. So they're just getting to DMT, which is, in all of us again nothing i've taken before but um i don't see it's a drug and you know in the right circumstances in the future i I would like to to experience that but there's also a lot of stuff and this is scientific stuff this isn't woo woo that like dmt is released they obviously don't know the sort the the full reason for it but it's released like when you're dying which would kind of the body's pretty good at evolving things to Stop. I mean, we obviously feel pain, but that's our nerves, so we know to go and like heal it. We can't just let that blood keep pouring, etc. But they say a lot when you watch animal nature shows, like an animal run away from a predator, but when it's actually in like the death grip, it's really relaxed because at that point the DMT is triggered. Like it's there's a death blow being served, it's not just lying there dead. And, And you do see, like, not to get too morose, but you do see with accidents and people on that, like obviously they call it shock, but if it's really chronic like you know people usually kind of like are silent before the end you know it's not yeah if it's if it's, it's not, it's like not kicking and screaming if it's, if it's not not life-threatening that's when the, the pain and the shouting and the screaming you know and obviously things are so so there's this theory that maybe like the dmt either takes you to the next plane what we're talking about with the energy and stuff and then you know that time slows down and like what all these ancient, ancient faiths, like you've been talking about all the ancient, like Indian ones and ones that maybe predate, you know, if we could get so deep on this, but predate like what we know is civilization and the structures that were there when ancient civilizations came across them that we attribute to them. But they say, no, we're so far longer. But, um, you know, all these ancient, ancient faiths talk about, you know, the spirit and, 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 It not being the physical realm that this is just like a training ground or this is just where you gain experience on that level and then the next level is the ethereal and then who knows where it goes maybe the dmt when these people are taking it and connecting with this spirit of the forest or getting life lessons that help them throughout whatever they need to maybe it's like heaven in our words maybe that is the next bit and it's not like this you know big fluffy clouds and you meet god and stuff but it's like right you leave the body and then isn't that a play and maybe it's just when you take this and the doses that aren't enough to kill you or you're not dying and getting it that way that you're just getting a wee taste of that and it's like right without your ego without your body without you caring how you look in the mirror or this big spot I've got up here or losing a bit of weight and stuff it's like release all that here's what you should be focusing on because this is what's important for the next bit you know, yeah, like, it's like the pure state and like heal just your kind or of Exactly. Yeah. That stuff just its so interesting to me. And yeah, I, again, if people listen listening and don't have any recollection, it might sound like a lot of waffle, but there's so many resources. Like, you know, and, and I'll be Yeah, anyone can send a message or send that shit. But it just interests me a lot, man. But also, it's pretty scary, eh? Like, well, when, people, when people pass
2: and come back, or people are right on the brink. And I think that's my, kinda, again, just a theory, but when people, maybe their body does shut down and it does think that's it. And with resources that we have, we can bring people back, we can defibr- defibrillate people, um, CPR. Like, if that's released at that point, maybe that's why it's so common for people to say that they've seen things, mm-hmm. you know? I've seen exactly. my, my life, I've seen people that have passed before, I've seen this white light, I know that's quite a basic one. But maybe that's what it is, because Absolutely. adrenaline, DMT, whatever else comes out, but it's kind of, it's come out even though it thinks it's dying, the body has started to shut down, but then they've been brought back to life. You exactly. know, people have, a lot of recordings of people having these out-of-body experiences and seeing things, and because the brain still obviously is an, an effect. So even though your eyes are closed, whatever, your brain's still recording the images that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's
1: why no, for sure. I think the, things, you know. This they say like the amount of DMT in our body, like what people usually take for trips and stuff like that, is like, you know, a droplet of what is released. I believe it's from the pineal gland, that's where it's stored. You know, and there's so many ancient, like the Egyptian that the eye of Horus with these all that, that's the exact shape of the pineal gland and all the ancient Sumerians with this acorn of like knowledge and that that's all the pineal gland and there's so many references. I'm listening to a book right now. What is it called? On Audible uh, by a guy, Brian Marescu. And there's a Joe Rogan on it. Um, So, like, he, he kind of talks about it for two hours, which is obviously good if you don't want to listen to the whole book. But The Immortality Key. And it's talking about how the first religion was basically psychedelics. And this guy's never done psychedelics in his life because he thought it was important not to do it, to give a... To do his research correctly and stuff graham hancock's actually the foreword it's talking about all these uh, the kokion which is this old greek like drink it was basically a beer but with um ergot which is like a fungus grown on some of the wheat they put that in on purpose and that releases it's basically like a mushroom on the wheat and they would give them these like visions and things like that but saying that they took that from even earlier and even earlier so i believe right. like the ancient Indians, Egyptians, Sumerians, Greeks—like they all valued being able to go into this other realm, which could just be a taster. And most of these religions say that this earth is just the training ground. Like if you look at it, we are immature for life. You know, like we we all mature, but we still do things. If you're a, a, an open person and you admit to yourself, we're all constantly learning. And I know me and you have spoke about like how you know we are absolute off our heed when we are younger and stuff like that. But still, you were just young lads, you know. But you know we've definitely improved as as men. But you'll still do shit that you're now and again like, oh, why did I react that way, or why am I in this right. mood, or why did I eat that thing when I know it's no good for me, whatever. So we're in a constant training kind of uh, training process here, and, and and this this book here goes through everything like the burning bush in the Bible. Obviously, we know the Bible's not gospel. Like I don't, I'm not talking about following a, a religion here, but all of this is before there was things written down. Stories had to carry, or people wouldn't have got the information. So metaphors are things that you remember. If you just said, "So what Jesus did was he he got this uh, like DMT concoction," and what did, <laughs> no one would remember the details. So what they have to right. say is the burning bush, and he got visions. They're now saying it was the acacia bush, which if burned is DMT. So, you know, there's, there's so much into this. So that, um, There's so the, many drawings uh, of
2: it. It's just mushrooms yeah. all over it as well, you know.
1: Exactly. The, the Garden of Eden, it's a giant mushroom. The apple in Latin, it just means apple of the earth, which, you know, could be a mushroom. It doesn't mean it's an apple. So And this gave them the knowledge. Do you know what I mean? They were told not to do that because why? It freed them. They couldn't be held by kings and right. religions if they knew that the whole universe was just inside them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's right. it's pretty deep shit, man. But yeah, it's something that I really want to I, I do want to experience and I do want to look further into. It. But um yeah, it's obviously not you're not just gonna go and do it yourself. You need to be finding the right situation and the right person to to help you with that, right. you know? Definitely. I guess this takes us a wee bit on, but um I listen to a lot of like Russell Brand and he shares a lot of the opinions on like this kind of stuff, but that he couldn't take it because he's now on that kind of sober path and he wouldn't want to risk like that going backwards. Uh, I know you obviously gave up kind of drinking. Like, what was, did you say it was 10 years? Um, it'll be 11 years this July. That's brilliant, so it was man. 10 years last year. So, congratulations. Quite a while. Thank you. And does that kind of rule everything out for you? You, you wouldn't want to mm. kind of dip your toe in anything? I've always kind of. I've always thought about it,
2: you know. It's something that I know at least one person has tried it in Peru. Um, And Again, it's it's one of these things that I feel the majority of people that take it, it does do good, you know. And like you're saying, there's a lot of addicts that go and take it and they end up kind of getting sober after that. But to me... (laughs) I, I'm not saying it's a drug, like in the way we believe we're led to believe drugs are in society is bad and recreational and whatever. But I mean, it's still some form of medicine, mm-hmm. so there could be side effects for certain people, you know. And I think, of course, going I think going into it, um, the same as Russell Brand says, like I would panic that I would get that much enjoyment out of it that I would start to maybe think, well, Yo, you know what, DMT is not readily available in the street you know so what's the next best thing I'll start taking I'll pick mushrooms I'll start taking mushrooms and mm-hmm. like especially in our country like whether or not I mean I don't think it's one of these drugs that people take mushrooms and they go wild and break in a car or steal your radio like it's not something that someone could do every day the same as like smoking cannabis or whatever you know but it's still classed as a hallucinogenic but again is that for that same reason they don't want people to open their minds or whatever and totally. um, so I think I would panic quite a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: think I would really need to be relaxed in and, and the right company and the right kind of, not a tour guide, but I know that people take you in and they'll kind of cleanse you and you'll go through a kind of regimented diet for a few days before you take it and stuff. So yeah, like they call it
1: like a, a shaman, but even like just here, just like a, a spiritual kind of leader, I guess, you know, the trip leader.
2: Aye, so I would... I would need to be in the right circumstances, but I don't know if until I was there, I wouldn't know if it was for me or not. You know, I would love to experience that. Um, and Again, I, I remember seeing Graham Hancock do a kind of reading um, a few years back and he spoke about finally trying it. I don't know if he's done it more than once, but he spoke about doing it and even he got a lot out of it, even though he seems to be really kind of clued up and he, he understands all the things that he has, these theories and these beliefs, he found out even more through it, you know, he's seen a lot more, mm-hmm. so I think it would be incredible to try, but I think just, Big risk. Aye, although I couldn't, it's not a bad losing control, but I would panic about it, and I don't know if that would give me bad, a That's bad of reaction or something. Say, yeah,
1: I, th- I think, you know, it's all with good reason of what you said, you know, and uh, yeah, it's like, even he'll say himself, you know, and even I'm not holding Joe Rogan up as some sort of like light here. Like I, I'm really interested in what he's got to say. Seems that the older and more successful people get, the more conservative they seem to get. Like Pete Joe Rogan was about 10 years ago, you know. Yeah. Uh, but still, even he says, you know, with with weed, like you know, it can be a great tool. Like it can like help pain. It can relax people. It can de stress. But also in the right kind of setting, it can make people not feel great and he's like it's definitely not for everybody but same as alcohol you know it doesn't mean that should be illegal in no way is it as destructive as alcohol however it's also not foolproof you know um are you comfortable talking about like why why you did kind of give up booze and stuff like that absolutely i mean i think for me
2: growing up like i started drinking really young so even like 14 older cousins drinking beers like you're talking like one can of beer would last you like hours you know it's not as if it was full-on alky at 14 <laughs> yeah you kind of dabbled and growing up listening to punk music and rap music and it was just always this kind of, kind of rebellious thing not that alcohol is rebellious but it feels like having I mean, you're a kid and it's something you're not supposed to do mm-hmm. um, and even just like getting into beher- rehearsal studios and things like that at a young age it just felt like I don't like any kid, you want to try, you're not supposed to, and you want to do things a lot quicker than you should. Um, but it just became part of, like, everyday kind of life, like, too early, I think. Like, even being in high school, you would go into town and go to pubs, you'd have a fake ID, all your friends, well, all my friends were older, so they were in the pub anyway. So you'd go and meet up with people, have drinks, and it just felt like that was a way of freeing yourself as well um again right setting right amount it's great you know Mm -hmm. yeah I think the more I drank the more it took to get that feeling of being free and getting kind of tipsy and whatever and it's very fine line when that becomes actually depressing it's the opposite of what you're trying to gain so for me in the end up it started becoming like I would drink just to get kind of on an even keel but then once I got to that you would then be like, oh, I feel okay now. I've had a few drinks. So then I'm going to try and go to the next stage. I'm going to try and get kind of... It's almost like forgetting your troubles. And it sounds clichéd. Not everyone that drinks and has got a drinking problem has problems. But we've all got kind of wee problems in life, you know, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, just generally feeling anxious or depressed or whatever, which are... Like, <laughs> A lot of people that maybe don't suffer for with it from, for their whole life, in your 20s, I think a lot of people get some form or another of depression or anxiety. And um, I did definitely feel a lot of anxiety in my 20s. You know, and whether or not that was caused solely by alcohol or not is another story. But it was the whole self-medicating thing for me. I'd feel anxious when I woke up after drinking, so I would drink to take that away, which then led to getting paralytic every day. But then every day I would wake up feeling that same anxiousness. So that's how it slowly became an everyday thing. Yeah. Trying to hold a job, trying to not spend your whole wage in a week as well. So there's a lot of problems with that as well. Um, and it just got to the point like I would start kind of taking drugs and stuff as well, and stuff that I would never have touched had I been sober. Mm -hmm. Or if I had touched it, I would have maybe have done it in a different way but taking drugs on top of all that alcohol as well was just a no-go for me, but I did. Um, And I lost my job at the time. I worked for the civil service and they were good. Like I said to counsellors, I got kind of extended chances to not lose my job. And that was the biggest thing for me is when I lost the job finally, I was like, how am I going to fund this habit? Like, am I going to end up stealing from people? Am I going to end up going out? with barely any money and then go back to a party or something just so I can keep like fueling that demon. Um, so when I lost the job that was pretty much it. Like I went on a kind of five day wild one, finally get taken home, I was at a band practice, couldn't stand, tried to run away so I could go back out, no money, someone else's clothes, like a total mess and I got locked in the car and taken up the road. I think it was the Tuesday night and I, I had a meeting on the Friday at work and that was the first kind of three days that I didn't drink. That's when I stopped, it was that Tuesday night, was the last drink I had. But on the Friday when I went to the meeting at work, I couldn't even walk and my body was so dehydrated, like I hadn't ate, I hadn't drank um, and it took a while for me to get sacked. It took about a month or two and I did see changes very quickly. And it was almost like I knew that I couldn't continue this. Again, without money, I couldn't physically do it. So when I eventually got sacked, I was very, very, very close to going back on it. And I knew if I didn't, then that would be, it. That would be the final hurdle for me. So I managed. Um, and then it just became a kind of a strange, kind of reversed feeling. So everything I'd done sober, that I probably hadn't done for like 10 years or so, it felt like I was getting the same buzz that I did when I started drinking. Mm. So, when you're at a party in school and you I always <coughs> talk about when oh, a lot of people don't know what I'm talking about, maybe it's just me, but if you remember being at like parties in school and you're tipsy and you go to the bathroom and you just stare at yourself in the mirror,
1: oh, 100% and man, you and it's like
2: so you're like, yeah, man, it must have been totally. it was that feeling, like even like I was playing in the band at the time. Luckily, I stopped drinking before we started playing shows. But even like going and delivering merch at the post office, like even going to the post office sober for me was like a big deal. I felt like I was overcoming a big challenge. Um, and it just, I mean, 11 years almost on, and it still feels like that. I still get proud that I can sit. I, I mean, I find it hard dealing with people drinking or getting drunk. I really had to cut a lot of people off. Like, no offense to. Individuals, but I just had to keep myself away from that kind of environment. And it doesn't mean to say it's wrong what people are doing, but for me it was wrong, and a lot of people didn't understand it either. You know, a lot of people thought you're too young to be an alcoholic. Um, just have a drink, have a laugh, we'll be fine. And I don't know if that was other people that had issues trying to make themselves feel better. That's as it, I was doing too, like a crutch. <clears throat> uh, but I mean, I was 24, just. 24 and a half when I stopped so I'm now 35 and I think I'm always going to be affected by it I still miss it every day I still get nightmares that I'm drunk drinking and then I wake up ashamed but then it's me woke up in the dream
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm like it's fine it was a dream then I fall out of bed because I'm drunk so it's like layers of dreams um, and it's always there it's always in conversation but I've learned to talk about it more because if it can help someone, or can at least make someone think, do I have a problem? Then I'm not uncomfortable about it at all. You know, I do enjoy talking about it, and hopefully, it will influence other people. Not to stop because not everyone has a problem or <clears> has to stop, but if we can make people change, maybe how much they take or how often, you know, things like that. It's all positive because as it's, yeah. it's, it's the worst drug there is.
1: I mean, it, it is, man, and just like, <laughs> like like you said there, this isn't like a anti-drinking podcast. Because just what you're talking about there, man, like I've, yeah, it's not it's not for me to bleat on. Like you're the guest as as well, man. Like I've had so many years of just like like blackout and like just acting like a tit and and you know <clears throat> actively looking to get battered, like, going down the, the park, and that, because I've fallen out with someone when I've been drunk, and like, trying to start on loads of guys that I know I can't win, and, um, yeah, just like, not, like, not remembering a thing, Wake up in the morning and people tell me what's happened, or waking up in the same room as people, you know what I mean? And, yeah and that's not good I mean none of that is like now but then more recently getting over that kind of thing when I first met Nick you know she was like who is this person sometimes I meet this guy sometimes I meet that guy so dealing with that but then even then it's like the the crutch version of it so it was a big step to be like right I won't feel that way anymore but even then just like I'll just have a couple of beers Aye, but every night and then how much is that costing you and then you're worried that you're putting on weight and you're not doing this well you're just feeding yourself pish that's like empty calories like just enjoy like some water and apple juice and then have a nice healthy snacks the same calorie you know all this shit so I've been probably in the most sustained sober period of my life but it's literally only like I did like a couple of months there and then St Johnson play, won the final so I had a few Proseccos with Nick and stuff and now I'm, I've been off it again but you're right, I do totally miss it. On a Friday and a Saturday night, I'm like, I just want a couple of bottles of beer. And Something's I, missing. I could, because I know I'm not going to go in that. And I, I'm not saying that I have given up booze either. But like, I'm a wee bit annoyed at myself sometimes that I, I feel I need that. So that, because I'm stubborn, that spurs me on to going, oh, fuck you. You don't need anything, man. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, people who can drink and are absolute class on it and get up the next day and look after their kids and drive about and that, I admire the hell out of that because you're just using something that's a nice wee relaxant to you. That's great. But if I have a few drinks, could be in the best setting in the world, could be sitting here, my cats are here, my wife's sitting through there watching RuPaul. I'm just relaxing. I wake up in the morning feeling like I did something terrible. No, it's like guilt I from past experiences Exactly so that must just be my kind of brain and I remember really early on when I used to get so so blackout drunk that a few of my mates were taking like everything under the sun and uh, was at a party one night and I was like oh give me some of that and it was probably the best thing, one of the best things that anyone's ever done for me. My mate um, turned around and said nah man you'll like this too much. And at first I thought he was being funny, but ever since I've known exactly what he meant, like he could see in me how I took things to the extreme. And right. he's like, you know, you're not getting this for me. And I've never done anything like that before. And that's again, not another, I'm talking about I want to try DMT, stuff like that. So I'm not like against whatever anyone wants to do. But like that did resonate with me. You know, he was, he was giving me a bit of advice and said, nah, like I can't try to jump in and here. Um, yeah, so I think it, we are all different people. And, you know, if I'm getting that kind of fear after just a few beers and stuff, like, it's Aye. not something that I really want to have in my life that much as I get older. And I don't have kids yet, but as I do, I don't want to wake up feeling like that around, like, little, yeah. little ones who rely on me and stuff, you know. So influenced by you as well.
2: Like, even if I get angry now, like, I don't have any excuse. I know booze is an excuse, but I need to, I think as well, like, the fact that I can't take that to relax like I'm sitting drinking like fake spirits
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it does give me this placebo effect where I do feel that tipsy feel I was talking about earlier I do feel kind of physically relaxed and mentally relaxed but I need to deal with me 24-7 yeah and I don't know I don't know how anyone deals with me 24-7 <laughs> never mind me but I think back to the whole like psychedelics and stuff like that like there's a reason why alcohol is legal, even though it's bad and people do bad things on it. It's it's our only. It's like a carrot being dangled. Like you want to. That's the only thing you can legally buy that will make you feel slightly free from your stresses and your woes and whatever. So again, it does cause mayhem. It causes mayhem. But again, I don't understand why other things aren't legalised. But it's the only option people have. So people yeah. spend a fortune on it feel free and it's not as again it's constructed freedom it's built into oh well, I'll have a few beers and I'll feel like I'm like I don't have any stress or any anxieties whatever but then you're still gonna have to go back up the next day and go on me
1: your place in society you know so uh, it's very confusing. I, I saw a really good YouTube video uh once which I know always makes it a oh, uh, YouTube video but it was literally just like facts about like the agricultural the agricultural history of our vices, if you like. Vices is not always the right word, but for, for uh, easy effect. And marijuana was the easiest thing to grow compared to tobacco, and it had far more benefits, like the pain relief, the, you know, if it's a pure strain, like you don't get any paranoia, you just, like, are a bit happier and stuff. The things that we would take booze for, but, you know, once you've got that, unless you're, like, a chronic smoker, most people don't, like, feel that and then go, right, geez, more, because you're already uh, a bit I'll like, go Wait, <laughs> you've got it, you're sound, you know. Um, but then the tobacco industry was like, nah, we'll, eh, uh, tobacco used to give those kind of effects as well um but they were like right we'll take that out really really reduce it so just a tiny wee bit of a nicky rush you know so that people need more and more and more and we'll ban marijuana so there's no competition for us and then booze you know we'll, we'll make that legal because you know we've got control on it like you know but we'll make it that's what the prohibition about we'll make it illegal that um you know, you can do it just in your own house, but then slowly we'll return it to manufacture, but then people will just be conditioned to buying it off us. They won't. The generational past, yeah, it's past where people would even put in the time to try and do it themselves. So there's all these things just about profit and stuff, man, but it's quite clear that, you know, and, you know, mushrooms, like if we want that little escape, like you can find that in the ground and you could grow cannabis yourself. You could do all these things, but no, that's illegal because, it'll give you a better insight and less of the bad effects that you won't actually want to go and buy cigarettes or booze anymore. And it's free. So that can't be made legal, you know? Exactly. Like how, and again, I don't want to touch on it too much because of my work or whatever, but course, yeah.
2: like people smoking grass, like <laughs> like it stinks, right? Obviously, it's very potent smell and whatever. People complain, but the stigma of that, but yet people will go and buy 20 cigarettes. With, tar, it's with no just pain. killing
1: you. Yeah, so pure pure cancerous, um, really horrible smell, so, so expensive. Um, addictive. Yeah, addictive and no benefit. No pain relief, no anxiety relief, no lifting your mood. Literally just a coping stick, a coping mechanism because of the stress it puts you under. Right. So, yeah, man, madness. Really? If people, yeah, if people like are looking into that, you know, again... I'm not here like waving the flag for like anything, but it's just common sense, you know. And so many countries in the world are waking up to it. And it's I heard them um, another podcast, the Duncan Trussell uh, podcast. They were talking about it. It's just our generation's prohibition. We watch these movies in the 20s, like I said, about them smashing the stills up, but producing like <clears throat> the government actually producing the bottles to then sell on the black market, so it looks like it's coming from someone else. So they're happy for booze yeah, to go yeah. out there. They just need to be getting the cut. So that's all this is. You know, they've just been make it illegal so that people, like, are doing it on the fly so that when they bring it out themselves, people will pay that premium because it's easy. And, it, and you know what? I'm fine with that if, it, if they put some of the taxes in, if people aren't going to be put in jail for smoking something that's natural for all this. You know what I mean? But, right. um, yeah, it's quite clear it's just for been profit and control the whole time, you know. Absolutely. Um, we we better touch upon uh, the band as well. Um, the recovery. Absolute class band. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, man. Um, I'll link, i link, I'll link stuff up to that as well. But like, really, kind of every time I die vibes with kind of like your own kind of Scottish spin, and it was class, man. You guys, you guys were flying for a while, eh? Like. Talk, talk to fun. me about the journey and what
2: happened to, to be not well, doing it. it kind of was, I was still drinking at the time. So Andy the singer was in a band called DB68, which were kind of like pop punk, kind of had introduced synths and stuff in the later stuff, kind of Motion City soundtrack almost. And there was another few guys in a band called Mistakers for Friends, which were like a kind of skate punk band. Again, they'd done a lot in their own right as well, toured with some great bands. And they had kind of split up fairly recently when Andy's band split up. So me being me, drunk one night, I was like, I'm going to ask these guys to join a band as we're doing it. Now bear in mind, I I played in a band when I left school. I was rotting because I was drinking. I could play guitar a wee bit, but I was always drunk anyway, so I, I couldn't really, I was never focused enough. Couldn't write, couldn't play, couldn't do much other than turn up and just say, I'm in a band. So that didn't last very long. I um, hadn't really played guitar in years. So when it came to doing it, we were all kind of like, what is this going to be? And believe it or not, we started out playing kind of technical pop punk stuff, like four years strong, set nice. your goals kind of stuff. And then it just became a kind of natural progression. like, We were all kind of listening to like every time I die for years and it still had that same party kind of feeling. That you get from pop punk but it was a bit more hard hitting Um so we just kind of decided well why don't we touch on heavier stuff but we'll try and keep that fun as well we won't be heavy for the sake of it so i mean the songs did get kind of heavier and more technical as time went on but we were we were always just trying to write stuff that we would have listened to you know like every time i die norma gene thrice all these kind of bands that were big but in this country like we would all go to gigs and see these bands, but they wouldn't be that big in our kind of our mainstream, I suppose. Um, and we thought we'll just go wait and see how we can push boundaries with that kind of style. Um and it was very quick, like before we had even played our first show. We got a support spot at King Tut's, um, supporting title fighting basement, which was pretty big for us because we loved the bands, although a lot of people were kinda pissed off because we were we sounded different to these bands but at the end of the day it's like anything like we spoke about it's all about profit and we were seeing that we had sold out nice and in our first show so obviously we would sell tickets for a support
1: Mm -hmm. which is
2: how it works you know you know yourself it's all about selling tickets and getting people through the doors if you don't what's the point in playing you know Mm -hmm. so it kind of started moving quite quick um We'd done a lot of prep before we even played a show, so we looked to get a music video done. Mostly for promotion purposes, a lot of people were laughing, like, oh, you're filming a video, but you haven't even played live. It was more so that we had stuff to share, because obviously MySpace at the time was growing. It was becoming more like a personal website. So you had all your images up and click-through links and stuff, and it was just so that we had stuff to share to promote our gigs when we (laughs) finally started playing. Because what's the point... Doing all these songs in the background, and then you've got nothing to kind of promote, and then no one comes to see you.
1: It was a so new thing give... as well, man. Like, people aren't just going to stay on your page for like the grey music symbol, like MP3. Like, you had to, exactly. you know, if you were serious about doing it, you should never be ashamed of doing things seriously, you know?
2: Exactly. And I mean, how many people would say to you, like, again, it's an old punk mentality, like, I'm just doing it for the music, I don't want to make money, and the whole seven out thing. At the end of the day, if people play playing bands and they don't want to work, you still need some sort of income. So if you want to make music from your passion, then you need to do the right things because no one's going to get into the music industry pushing against that stuff. People have stories when they talk about making it independently and all the rest of it. But sooner or later, you're going to have to do something that someone else wants you to do to get money. That's just how it is. you know. Some people can't be avoided. They can get huge... Like, even Jerry, that used to play in a band, one of the guys for DB68, like Jerry Cinnamon, he pushed so many boundaries just doing his own thing. And he's got Mm -hmm. massive over the last few years. Yeah, And he did do it on his own. But it's still, it, it gets to the point where you need people coming in and doing your music videos. You need people coming in and doing a wee bit of promotion here and there. And I don't know what his situation is now, but there is always, on occasion, a person or a band that comes out and does that and gets to that point on their own. But it's very rare, you know. So for me, it was all about just treating it like a business. Not necessarily money. But we need to get videos done. We need to get good promotional pictures done. We need stuff for people to kind of interact with, you know. And we had a blog kind of going for a while. And we had done all our kind of own, I don't know, the images and photography and whatnot. And it just felt a bit more DIY. A lot of people were saying it wasn't. But to me, it was like we're doing all ourselves. Yeah,
1: DIY doesn't need to be shite. We got a lot of that in Paris. Right. You know what I mean? Like, how you use DIY? You sell T-shirts for 15 quid. I'm like, hold on. Just because I want people to have, like, really cool, like, merch and images and stuff like that and build a following and, like you said, get proper um, videos and proper sh- uh, shots, that, that's not not DIY. We're still exactly. we doing That's harder DIY. We're not just pressing record exactly. at practice and going, ah right, this is us. Use is a lazy DIY. DIY. Paper. Yeah, you're just lazy DIY. It's just, I mean, again, our generation,
2: you've got more access to stuff, so cameras were starting to get video features on them. You could you could film a whole video on a DSLR for a couple of hundred quid, you know. Um, photos, again, I would be doing self-timer stuff for us. Like, we got a shoot done at the very start by someone else, but generally it would be me shooting like behind the scenes and documenting stuff. Because the more content you've got online, and I hate the word content, but it's... factual word, Hmm. the more you've got online, the more people whether they like it or not, they're going to see the name pop up, they're going to see the faces, they're going to hear the music and the more you've got on, it's like putting out a fishing net, you know, there could be people that would really like your band, but they've not seen you yet, so the more you're putting out and again, algorithms look at Facebook and Instagram these days MySpace was the same, you would sometimes need to scroll through people's uploads to find stuff that you wanted to yeah but if you're posting all this stuff people will see it eventually and that was it for me that was the basis of it the more we've got out there the more people more chance people have got to see it so fast forward about six months possibly maybe a year and we got this guy from Dumfries and his a manager who paid in money for recordings paid in money for practice spaces like he was the sixth member so again it was still being ran like a business, but not from the making money point of view. It was just everybody in it together, like a kind of brotherhood, you know. And it just it just became a kind of solid unit for a while and we started to pick up airplay. We done a radio one live session, we had songs on the Daniel P. Carter show, our E P that came out, we had two singles on MTV. And again it was all done other people recording at this time, but we came up with ideas, we come up with how it was going to look, we come up with the kind of storyboards. And it was like two or three hundred pounds for a video. You know, it's not as if we were going to all out and making it all. Yeah. And whistles. It was still like we were doing years before, but just try to make it look appealing to the masses, I suppose, because you want people to see it on the TV and think, oh, that, they're really cool. That's a fun video. I wonder if they're good live, you know. The same way we grew up with watching Blink videos or Green Day videos, and I know it's different budgets, yeah. But you would you would see a band and you would kind of it would resonate with you, even just the way people look. Like the whole reason I get my tattoos done 17 years ago was because Tom DeLong was walking out with sleeve, Travis Barker, all these people. And as much as it's saturated now, us being able to see ourselves in a video similar to something that we would have watched previously it gave us that feeling. So we hoped that other people would see it and be like, I want to, I want to know what this band's about.
1: It's quite heavy,
2: serious music, but it's funny videos, and it's that contrast that we always like. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, we got, we got further than we thought we would as that band, um, done a lot of festivals and stuff. And it just kind of hit a, a roadblock, you know, it just became too much reliant on money to go to that next stage to do the album, to do proper promotion to keep your stuff on the TV and radio, it costs money. You know, you need to pay to be played, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Um, That's a bit we kind of just pulled away from, and obviously other factors, you know, like we took a year out for the boys doing business stuff and get married, and then COVID hit, so it's going to be like two years, you know. Right. but uh, Yeah, but we had kind of, it's not that like you want to give up at all because I feel we're making better stuff than we've ever made. Uh, because that, And that's probably because we stopped to trying to get, like, this got to be suitable for this or suitable it's for pressure. that. But we also were like, nah, fuck. Paying. We never paid to, to get in magazines or stuff like that. But we definitely paid for, like, plug-in and PR and, you know. But it's nothing, I don't think, for what you get for what you could afford. You could just do it yourself harder work. If you've got big money to put in it and get yourself on the front cover of Kerrang and stuff fair enough, maybe it's like speculate to accumulate, but for the money we were able to pay, you're talking about like getting up, you know, a review the size of a postage stamp, and you're like, fuck this, I don't need them to review it. I'd rather Aye. just like spend that money on, you know, two weeks or more tour in the year. Touring. Yeah, Aye. exactly. And just like the like catch-22. One like. more real fan than like 10 people scanning it and going, next, you know. Aye. Or somebody listens to it and doesn't like it. Again, it is the whole speculate to accumulate, I
2: mean, you know what she's talking about? it Like we paid. So we were on a PR company roster. So you would pay X amount every campaign, which is standard. Like yeah. all the biggest artists in the world do the same. It's just that they're making a lot more money. So whether you're the Deftones or the Recovery, you will pay a fee. And they'll take those songs. I mean, radio presenters don't pick the track listens, you know what I mean? It's, it's songs provided to them by the labels or the PR companies and they'll pick, they might pick a song here and there, but it's all plug, it's plug to them. And that's just advertising. Radio is essentially advertising. And for me, I don't, again, I did not have any issues doing that because if it meant loads of people in England would hear our music that maybe wouldn't have heard it before, then they'll come out to a show, they'll buy a t-shirt, they'll get into the music, you know, and I just think being in that kind of alternative style band, you kind of need that. There's no, you can't blow up in the same way if you're playing something that's a bit more mainstream, you know? No disrespect to mainstream bands, but it's hard for specific genres in this country just don't get attention. You know, it's quite a cliched little scene that we've got. So for me, it's like you only have these platforms. You've got Karang, you've got Rock Sound, you've got the rock show Radio 1. Like, fortunate to have that. So that was the kind of targets for us and we managed that we got it and it did help a bit. But it just became to the point where we weren't making any money at all. We got royalties for certain things and it was great, but it's not as if we were out full time touring and getting money every three months. We were still all working jobs, or saying I'd get married, I had a kid, he had a kid, we moved away, you know, everything just kind of came in full circle and we, it just kinda of ended, you know. And again it's the money when people are getting married people are having kids like you need to choose your you know it's it's just your options do you spend all your free money and time on a band or do you obviously spend time at home and it's a no brainer yeah. you know it's just it would have been great to have the money to have done the album because i have actually got five songs that we've never released which I'm hoping to put online at some point so we'll see
0: Nice.
2: Um, but the stuff, I mean, even listening to it now, it still feels new. And it still feels like this is the best stuff we've ever written. But that's like four years ago, five years ago. So even then it's dated, but no yeah. one's heard it.
1: Um, so I don't know. Never say never. That's know, I, it, I guess the, the driver is to like try and make it before that shit happens. Make it even just to a level where like you can self-sustain going on tour or recording albums from sales and stuff. Because then as you get older, you can just pick and choose. It's fine. Like, you guys could just, you know, right, we're, we're going to go and do a two-week tour there. Yeah, that'll be a strain, leaving the kids for two weeks. But, you know, we'll sell a lot of our new album and then we'll come home f- again for a while. And then fans of the band can just listen to that. that that's what we're up against as kind of, like, rock or underground bands. Because you're right, like, you know, it's not taking anything away from, like, Lewis Capaldi or Jerry Cinnamon and two different kind of genres. But genres that are very mainstream like indie or pop where you can have a hit song and be massive or you can look at a band like like them or or load them probably the biggest band in the uk of underground levels probably like i bring me the horizon you know who it's impossible to be an overnight success based on <clears throat> if you're looking at a pie chart of everyone that lives in glasgow you maybe only got like 10 percent who are really passionate about that genre of music whereas the other 90 is a Capaldi fan you know Aye. so they had to start off tiny then grow then pay money into practicing and recording then grow then do this and this and this and it's only two years ago they're headlining red and Leeds after like 15 years up. and it's been a- chum- away yes. since I was in high school you know exactly so a Capaldi or that could do it in one summer and that, again it's taking nothing away from that you know that's popular music for a reason but uh, yeah it's it's not easy doing what they did, massive respect, oh. but yeah, it's impossible for an underground genre type of band to have that overnight success, you've got to create that fan base, and it comes down to money, because we could all do it if we could just stay on tour all the time, but stay we can't. Stay on tour, stay on the TV, stay on the
2: radio, and that's it, you know, that's it's it. it's, it's, a kinda, it's a tough one to digest, but it's, it was good at the time, it's great looking back, but... I mean, even the guys, like, I've barely spoke to anyone because we've all got our own lives. And even sometimes a phone call could be, like, I can't I can't spend that time on a call because I've got this to do, I've got that to do, and I've got work, I've got travel. And it just feels, it's, it's quite sad, you know, it is sad at times, but once the kids are grown up a wee bit maybe that's the way you
1: say man yeah they say that about you know i'm not a parent obviously i'm not trying i would never condescend or try to <laughs> speak for a parent but like they do say that you know in formative years like your part of your brain that's not focused on your kids is just purposely evolutionary just putting in a drawer it's like no this is the focus but as they right. start to be a bit more like they want to go and see their pals and they're safe doing that and that you'll be sitting a bit around going, right, where's where's that bit of John again? And just pull it out the drawer and you have that mental capacity as well as time, you know? And even now it's happened like the past kind of year. I've just been kind of getting back into art and
2: different drawing, different art forms. This whole house, we've been kind of sitting doing stuff like that recently and it's good, you know, it's refreshing. The kids can join in as well. Yeah. But it just feels like even if you're doing it in a crowded room and they're all loud and whatever, excuse me, you still feel like you're just in your own head, you know. You're getting something out, and you're thinking about stuff, and it's it's great. It's it's a good. Can't complain, you know. It's been a good few four years since we stopped the band. A lot of cool stuff's happened, and obviously the wee one, it's aye. A lot of good came from it as well. Yeah, man.
1: definitely. Definitely need to get those songs out, man. I'll speak to you about that uh, behind the scenes. But um, yeah, just just before we wrap up, I don't want to eat all your day, man, but. What's, um, you're one of my favourite photographers online. We've got a print of yours on the wall here, the the moon kind of going through its blood moon phase and stuff. And you've taken a lot of shots of our band over the years. Um, what's uh, What's going on with your photography at the moment? Have you got anything kind of you're working on, or just shots here and there as you see them? Mm,
2: I've been kind of going through archives recently. Again, COVID has been kind of the only option. Like at first, I thought I would maybe do like a kind of lockdown series of stuff. But then every time I was in the city centre, there was so many people doing it. And it wasn't that that discouraged me, but I just thought, like I'm always taking pictures in the city centre. I'm always taking pictures of like the streets when it's early in the morning, late at night. So it's, it wasn't really that new to me. So I felt like I was pushing myself to do something. And I don't like push myself to be creative because it ends up stressful. doesn't turn out that good usually. Yeah. But even if it is good, I won't look at it that way and I'll just bin it. So the past kind of year, I've not really touched my camera, you know, I've, I've kind of found what I like doing. And again, stuff for like the band, like done a music video for you guys, promo shots. I like working as something bigger than just the image. Mm-hmm. So I like doing images for something specific. So and I'm, I'm not even talking like paid jobs for something. I like doing stuff that I'm interested in. So like yeah. taking pictures of like graffiti, bands, musicians, um, clothing companies stuff like that, you know, where it's part of a bigger picture and the kind of behind-the-scenes style. So I really want to maybe get into documenting at some point.
1: That's my favourite stuff filming. to see, man. Yeah,
2: yeah. It tells a story, you know. It, it's not all about the technical side of the image. Like, anyone can shoot a photo, but with documenting style, like, as much as I kind of know my way about a camera, the technicalities and stuff, documenting is just a raw form, you know. You can just take a picture of a person like even talk about documentary about the tribes, like I could take a picture of like a tribe leader mm-hmm. and it wouldn't matter how good the photo is if it was lit properly, if it could have been a tiny bit darker or whatever. Like the image of the person is the focal point, you know, and I just like the whole, there's something deeper to an image. There's a story, there's a person. And for me, that just, that's where I want to go with it, you know, behind the scenes, documenting, stuff like that, man. So I think going forward, I might start my own thing trying to do that a lot more. Nice. Just, again, it'll be fully self-funded and just to kind of start it up again, get a feel for it, because it's not taking the pictures that's that exciting for me anymore. It's what I'm taking pictures of, you yep.
1: know, and have a lot of text going along with it and stuff. So we'll see. We'll see. I've just made another wee note there, man, because uh, we've not announced things yet, but very, like, any day now, um, a second album and stuff like that, and we've always half-arsed it, like, documenting it, and not for vanity. Like, it's not like, oh, make sure you get me in this. Like, I'm playing the guitar. Like, I don't care about that. It could be one of the favourite shots I've ever got. um, A guy, Alan Gray, another good photographer, he took a shot of us uh, when we played Tuts, and it's like from my perspective on stage and you just see my shoes, my monitor, there's a beer, there's a wee whiskey, there's a set list covered in sweat, there's pleckies on the floor. I just love that because that's like it's like a shot, like it's I'm like just a looking, Yeah, I'm like looking at a tuner. I feel like I'm there on stage. Like no one would really see that photo before. They would see me from the crowd or whatever. And I love that. So even if it's like documenting, like you said, just you know, you you know more than me. So Man, I'll give you a shout about that, because we'll be doing some pre-production. We'll be doing the album, and uh, you know, there's a good chance it'll be the last one we ever do. Not that we'll stop doing music and that, but like you know, it's such a big undertaking at 35 right, yeah. to self-fund another album. It'll only be our second ever album, but to go down and record for two weeks, like it's not cheap, and uh, kids right. will be along. Yeah, I don't want, ever want to be chucking towels in and stuff, but like it's feasible, it could be, and I don't want to take chances that we don't really capture that, because that, that part of it Which is... is Especially special for news. Well. I
2: mean, news have got fans, you know, news used to always post up like the Spotify playlist and all these people are in different countries. And that's cool because you know that even if you had one fan, that would yeah. watch that and get something out of it. Obviously for news as well, it's good to have that documented and again, show families if people have kids down the line. But it's the, the fly in the wall kind of thing. It's not about vanity, like you say. It's just to give a pers- perspective that a lot of people won't ever get the chance to see not everyone plays in a band. Not everyone knows a band and can go in and watch a recording session. A lot of people don't even know how music's physically recorded, you know? Yeah. And it's just good having that insight for people to... And again, it'll resonate with people. People want to see that stuff. Talking about Blink earlier, like Blink done it so early on and they released DVDs, like Riding in Vans with Boys, stuff like that. Every time I die, i really good at it as well. They had a lot of kind of just constantly filming. And that's where you get the humour of band members. That's where you get like an insight into why the song sounds like this or why the lyrics are like that. It gives you a chance to maybe explain things. And people can be like, oh, I never noticed that before. That makes more sense now. So it's, I think it's just about letting people in, giving oh, yeah, people man. a bit more underneath the surface, you know.
1: Yeah I'm glad to hear like because I didn't know you know you were still doing stuff like that. obviously there, there's tons of off camera we can uh, iron out about that when we have uh, obviously it'll be way later in the year and stuff as well but yeah it's got to be the right person and uh, like you said with your manager there I always felt you were like an unofficial member of our band when we were taking photo shoots because it was never like or the video like that was one of my favorite memories in my life just me you my nephew you know like shooting on the coast like it was beautiful man like Aye. Yeah, you've got to have the right people together to, like, allow you to just all be flowing and doing what you're doing without any kind of second thoughts, eh? Aye, definitely, man. Right, so if people are, I'll link all this up, but if people are just listening, um, is it just John Photo on Instagram?
2: Yeah, John Photo, so it's built J-A-W-N, because oh, my, my surname's yes. so bad, <laughs> so
1: it's yeah. easier
2: that way. So just John Photo online. Yeah.
1: And there's some banging images there. And, uh, yeah, I'll link up that and the recovery on Spotify and stuff like that, man, and we'll, we'll get all that in the show notes. Perfect, man. Awesome, brother. It's been so good catching up with you, man.
2: You too, man. Thanks uh, for having me. No,
1: nah, a pleasure. And uh, I'll drop you a wee message follow up some of these subjects. And, uh, yeah, we need to keep more in touch, man. Aye, definitely, man. Brilliant, brother. Right, you take care. Thanks so much for your time, mate. You too, man. Cheers. See you soon, mate. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, we're talking about you.